and welcome to another episode of the Spirit of 2016 podcast. My name's Andy Bell and joining me for our second Euros podcast to discuss everything that's gone on in the last week and everything that's to come in the next week. Uh, I have got Peter Baker in Sheffield, um, a slightly delicate and fragile looking Peter Baker, it's fair to say. Um, <laughs> have you enjoyed the Euros so far, Pete? Yeah, loved it. God, I mean, having three games a day is just perfect, isn't it? Come home from work or whatever and just sit down and veg out the sofa watching the football. It's class. It is indeed, yeah. As I was saying in the pre-pod there, you you get used to all this football, this festival of football, and then all of a sudden they take the 2pm game away and it feels like an absolute affront to your yeah. human rights, doesn't it? <laughs> um, I've also got Lauren McCann joining me for the first time. Welcome to the Euros pods, Lauren. Um, how have you found it all so far? Are you enjoying the... The three games a day, is it a bit too much or um, or do you similarly feel affronted by UEFA's uh, very fair decision to, to only play one or two games like normal? Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. The same thing. I just, anytime there's a 2pm kickoff, that's me. All plans cancelled. Mm-hmm. I'm not going out. That's me. Sitting in the house, two to eight. Like, <laughs> that's the schedule. All week. <laughs> Yeah, has to be done, has to be done. And Ben, uh, champion of the quiz, will have a chance to retain his title today. Um, ben, you're looking well there on on uh, the only one celebrating Father's Day today. Um, so big day ahead, but uh, yeah, a bit of football for us as well this afternoon. You're looking forward to it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I've absolutely loved it. With Tina football and the US Open golf this weekend, it's absolutely perfect for me. So um, yeah, it's been brilliant. The only time that I've not enjoyed it is when Slovakia have been playing. Yeah, I know, and they've actually done all right, which is annoying. Um, Anyway, let's get stuck straight in, um, because we've got a lot to get through, and uh, we're just going to basically go through all the groups, really, from ADF, and want to leave a bit more time for DDF, because they are significantly more exciting and fun, Uh, but we will start with Group A, and I'll start with uh, with you, Lauren, because you haven't had a chance to talk with any of these teams yet, and... uh, I guess the big the big one from Group A is that Italy just looked like champions to me. They look like a team who have been together for seven or eight years, um, which is weird because they haven't. They're actually a very young team, but they're good at the back, they're good in attack, and they're good in between. Yeah, they're just a, such a well-drilled side, and obviously they've done so well in qualifying, but I don't think anybody expected them to steamroll the teams they have done so far. And, you know, I don't think they'll fear anybody going into the next rounds. So they're easily going to top that group. And I've been surprised by just how well drilled they are. You know, they set like sat in stone that they're going to be great defensively as Italians. But even going forward, their forward play has been amazing. And Locatelli's come in and hasn't looked out of place. And Bradley comes back from injury. You're kind of wondering, is he going to throw him back in there? Like it's the options they have in Chiesa as well. Before the tournament, they're really saying he's going to be their star and he's on the bench. So... Their strength and depth is just frightening, but they're actually using their strength and depth properly, unlike England. <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. And Pete, like it's it's something we always hear about England, isn't it? The the fact that they always kind of pick players based on reputation and their name rather than their form mm. or even their quality. And you look at that Italian side, and as Lawrence says, Chiesa is not in there. There's loads of players on the bench, like playing for Juventus, playing for these top teams across Europe. And then they've got Locatelli and uh, and Berardi, both playing for Sassuolo and, and both doing really well. Um, they just look, they just look, for me, anyway, the way I look at it is it's a cup competition and it's volatile. You know, a team can have a good uh, 90 minutes or can get a bit lucky and can take you to penalties and anything can happen. But I'm looking at it and I'm thinking if this was a league um, and everyone's playing each other home and away, Italy would walk this. Yeah, they, they just look class. And 
for me, it's the intensity that they managed to sustain for 90 minutes. They did it against Turkey, just pinned them in their own half. I thought, you know, my prediction was Turkey would be the force <laughs> here. Obviously, Turkey turned out in first. Shambles. Uh, we could touch on that later. But teams, I will. Te- yeah, teams don't beat Switzerland 3 0 generally. Yeah. They scrape by 1 0, maybe 2 0, but they tore them apart. Switzerland had nothing to offer. It was just really, really exciting to watch. And maybe this is my, my naivety and ignorance to European football, but coming into this tournament, I didn't know the likes of Locatelli, Barella, Spinazzola, who, my opinion, has been unplayable when he's on the overlap. And if he had a right foot, he could have, or left foot, he could have scored a couple of goals instead of shanking a few shots. Um, yeah, they, they get me off my seat. And they're probably the only team to have done that so far in the tournament. Yeah, no, they, they, they have they have been incredible. And 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 Ben, I was watching the the ITV coverage, the analysis of the game the other night, and I thought I'll be honest, I thought it was absolutely dreadful. I thought it was really kind of disgracefully poorly informed coverage. You had Gary Neville there and Roy Keane kind of talking about how this the narrative they seem to take, which is fair enough. This is their this is their right, but it seemed to be like, oh, what will happen when they play a good team? Um, and it's just such kind of basic journalism, you know, not wanting to to kind of d- delve deep into tactics and coaching and, and what's actually happened. I, I couldn't believe it was what they were saying. And Gary Neville, who, you know, fair enough, he is a good pundit normally in Sky Sports. But with his international football stuff, I think he's been really poor. He was talking about Switzerland as a, a nice team. I'm sorry, Switzerland aren't the nice team at all. They're a notoriously horrible team to play against. They're a team that always makes things difficult. They're a team who you don't really want many players in your fantasy football team if they're playing Switzerland because they're probably only going to score one or two goals maximum. They're probably going to sneak a goal somewhere themselves and they're probably going to get a result. And uh, Italy just made them look just like another team. And, you know, within the two games so far, Turkey, a lot of people predicted them as their surprise package, maybe not as much as Pete did. Um, and Switzerland, <laughs> you know, I, I thought, you know, that's a nailed on one all draw based on what we see from Switzerland. And they've just brushed them aside with so much ease. It's it's been a, it's been a bit of a joy to watch, to be honest. Yeah, I, I watched that myself, uh, that coverage. And I, I was surprised as well, because like you say, oh, what's going to happen when they play a good team and stuff. But when, when they beat Wales today, which they will, um, they they are going to go 30 games unbeaten. So you tell me in 30 games they've not played a good team, you know, in league as well. Yeah, yeah, they're a good side. You know, I was a bit surprised by them because I'd heard all this hype about them. But in all honesty, when we played them, when it was in March, I think it was when we played them, mm-hmm. wasn't that impressed by them. Like, you know, I think if we'd have taken our chances, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we could, I don't think we would have beaten them, but we could have, <laughs> we could have certainly made it much more competitive. Um, so surprised, but I mean the football they're playing is absolutely fantastic. Um, I can kind of see what Gary Neville's saying about Switzerland because it, they're efficient, but when they're when you have players like Italy, Switzerland aren't a team that's going to attack you, so it gives Italy that chance to kind of be a bit more expressive. So I kind of think that's what he was getting at. Yeah, I think he was kind. Of, he was kind of talking about how they always get to the major tournaments and they're happy to go out in the groups. But I, I was kind of thinking like back over the last few tournaments, they've actually got to the round of sixteen occasionally, the quarterfinals, and I, I didn't I, notice I, they're not a they're not a turkey. Turkey looked to me like a nice team to play against. They're so naive at the back; they're all over the show. Their lines completely, you know, um, they just look like a team that can be played through. And um, they look like a nice team to play against. Not not Switzerland to me. Um, but here, let's uh, share the screen a wee second because. Um, we have got a nice wee graphic here for Grip A. And let's see. 
So, yeah, there we have it. Uh, Italy top the group, six points. Wales can go top the group today uh, if they win in Rome. Uh, they're on four points. Switzerland are on one and Turkey are on zero. So that's Wales more or less through. Uh, you'd think this, you know, Wales will uh, qualify on four points. You think anyone on four points and maybe even on three points will qualify there as well. Um, Lauren, is do you think there's any chance maybe with a rotated Italy side that Wales have any hope of, of getting something today? Against Italy, I mean, Gareth Bale in that last game was just incredible. I thought it was one of the best performances I've ever seen at a major tournament, to be honest. He he set up six or seven, you know, high, real high moments of quality. Ramsey could have had a hat-trick in the first half based off him. They do look a bit better than what I thought they were, but do you think they've, they've any sort of chance today? Um, I can't really say it. Like, obviously, against Turkey, they were great. They were so solid defensively. And then when you have Bale putting in a performance like that and... They actually took their chances in the end. You know, they. I thought Wales were unbelievable against Turkey. It was one of the best performances that I've seen from Wales. And I watched them against Switzerland. I wasn't that impressed, but the turnaround for that game was them. Uh, but I can't say. I think it'll be one in the midfield. And when you look at Joe Allen and in the midfield, and he's a decent player, but I just don't say. I think they're going to be outclassed. But I, I don't think they'll be an easy team to play against in the last 16 because... I know they have Roten and Mepham at the back and I was a bit sceptical because I've when I've watched Chris Mepham in the Premier League last year and then for Bournemouth, especially in the playoffs, he was a bit shaky, but they've looked really, really solid defensively. But I still think Italy will have too much, even if they rotate, you know, they rotate bring in Bellotti from Mobile, whereas if Wales rotate, they bring in Harry Wilson for Kiefer Moore. You know, it's, <laughs> you can't really compare. <laughs> No, 100% you can't. And uh, that's a good point you make about the midfield as well, because it, it, they just seem so kind of incisive and choreographed. And like the way they were so comfortable playing out for the back, I actually, I brought two, we'll come on to talk about fantasy later. I brought two Italian defenders into the fantasy team. And not going to lie, in the 89th minute, when they were trying to suck Switzerland in off the pressure and play through them, I was absolutely kicking myself. But uh, <laughs> they came through in the end and it just shows that they they, they just do look so comfortable in that uh, in that setup, and um, and as I say, look like they've been playing together for so long. Let's go on to talk about Group B. Here we have it: Belgium on six points after two wins, three in over Russia and two one in Denmark. At uh, Russia and Finland both on three points. Obviously, Finland got the win over Denmark first day, uh, and then were beaten by Russia. Uh, and Denmark are there on zero points, but can still go through, I believe, if they uh, if they beat Russia. They probably need to beat Russia by a couple there if they want to get their goal difference up and secure that. But yeah, this is quite an interesting group. I mean, I guess, you know, we're not going to spend too much time talking about uh, Russia, Finland, Denmark, really, Pete. And we'll focus on Belgium because they're the only team there. Well, feel free to disagree, but the only team there that I can see could uh, potentially have a chance of winning it. Uh, we talked about them as being a little bit soft, potentially, in the in the preview podcast. Um, they've looked okay so far. They looked... You know, decent, if not unspectacular. Well, they looked unspectacular against Russia and then against uh, against Denmark the other day. I only saw the first half um, in which Denmark absolutely yeah. battered them. So uh, I don't know. What, what did you see in that second half from Belgium if you watched it? And, um, you know, have you seen anything from them that suggests um, there could be anything other than the perpetual quarterfinal merchants that they usually are? Similar to you, Andy. I had a tutorial during the second half, so I couldn't watch it. <laughs> I was amazed to. Mate, to your tutor's not your tutor's not watching this podcast. So, don't worry, you can tell I us. Suppose they showed a bit of resilience. <laughs> no, no, no. So I, I, unfortunately, I couldn't watch it. I was after the start Denmark made. I was amazed that Belgium made a comeback because they looked pretty awful in the first half. But I suppose they 
introduced Hazard, De Bruyne, Witzel, and that shows the class they've got. I think before the, the Euros, I think I was speaking to you and said, if, if De Bruyne's fit, I could see Belgium going all the way. Um, and they could, they could do. Unfortunately, I'm not the best person to judge the second half. Sorry, I, I didn't see it. But you know, they, they dismantled Russia, didn't they? With yeah. the big three players. And uh, I think they'll do the same again to Finland. Pretty rampant. Okay. I'll be interested to see if they come against an Italy or someone who gives them a proper test. I don't think they'll be tested in this group. Yeah, it's quite it's quite easy to protect their rotation as well. You know, kind of De Bruyne will come in, you know, Hazard will come in the next this yeah. next game. Um, Lauren, if somebody's been watching all the football, please tell me you've seen the second half of the Belgium game. Otherwise, you might have to get somebody else in this podcast. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, they they I mean, I've seen the highlights and, and De Bruyne comes on and does what he does. He he provides that quality. And um, you know, against a team like Denmark, where they're notoriously a bit boring, they're notoriously sip, you know, everyone behind the ball, have a staunch defense, um, probably are a bit better than people give them credit for it international level because they aren't that exciting but you know you need a player like that to come on and break the lines and play that incisive pass and De Bruyne does that more often than uh, than any other footballer in the world for me yeah the two goals were just fast you know the build-up play before them and then the two finishes it was just amazing and they were the real two moments of quality from Belgium and you know in a game in a turn in a tournament game in the group stage especially when you're behind <clears throat> sometimes that's all you need just those two moments you might not play the best is you know, we've seen, I haven't really seen Belgium come out of second game, really, I don't think yet. Um, obviously, they stayed rolled Russia in the first half and then just kind of played it safe. But that second half, those two goals were just unbelievable. Like De Bruyne, Lukaku involved in the build-up and then the, the second goal, the finish from De Bruyne. It was just unreal. But as Pete said, it would be really interesting to see them come up against the Italy where it, obviously it's a staunch defence, but as well they're going to attack because... As you've you've said before, you know, the aging backline, they do look a bit fragile when they're tested, but it would be really interesting to see who they get in the next round because, as Pete said as well, you know, they haven't really been tested that much and I don't think Finland will provide their test that you're kind of waiting to see if they can come up against a quality opposition. Yeah, no, especially seeing as Finland have got the three points in the bag already. Probably only need one to, to go through. Maybe already will be through. It might be a case of Northern Ireland against Germany in 2016, where it's just keep the score down, make sure your goal difference is okay, and that'll leave you in with a chance. And, and, and Ben, yeah, it's they're, they're a bit of a weird one. They do seem um, they do seem a little bit soft. They do seem... Um, yeah, we're going to come on to talk about Spain. I think Spain are very poor in both boxes, and that's going to mean they're going to get swallowed up in the in the knockout rounds. I think Belgium are are very good in the attacking box. They've got some amazing players. They're arguably the best team in the uh, in the tournament in the attacking third with De Bruyne with Lukaku scoring 30, 40 goals this season. Uh, but at the back, they do just look a little bit soft, you know. And what you look at those other big teams like Italy, France, uh, Germany, etc. Uh, when would you ever see a, a Jason Denier starting for them or a Dedrick Boyata or, you know, even a, even Vertonghen and Alderweireld aren't the players they used to be? They they do look a little bit like, you know, if they come up against an Italy, you're going to take the chances that they give them and maybe get a goal or two up. Um, they don't look like the type of team to me that have the mentality to necessarily claw that back and really make a game of it and dig in. And, uh, and you know, there's always one or two games on your route to winning a tournament where you have to proper dig in and you don't play well. I just don't know if Belgium's got that in them. Yeah, I mean, De Bruyne, De Bruyne in my opinion, is the best player in the world when he's on his on his game. Like, uh, he was phenomenal in that second half of the other day. It was just, it was a joy to watch. Like, it really was. And, like, it wasn't just the finishes. Like, Lauren, Lauren was saying there, the movement for those two goals, the passing, it was phenomenal. Like, it was brilliant. So, the one thing I completely agree, defensively, they're they're all, they're all over the place if they're tested properly. 
Um, but I think it'll be interesting to watch in the in the knockout stages because they're certainly not going to be you know winning a game one nil. You know you, you'd be like you'd be a three two because they're going to concede goals. But but going forward they can score goals against anyone. You know. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah, that kind of wraps up group. Um... Group B, uh, yeah, we don't really want to talk about Russia, Finland or Denmark. I'm not sure anyone wants to hear us talk about Russia, Finland or Denmark. No disrespect to Russia, Finland or Denmark. Uh, but Ben, I'll come to you on Group C. Now, why is this not going? There we go. There we go. Um, so Netherlands top the group. They've actually uh, finished top the group um, because they've got the head-to-head record on Ukraine and Austria. Uh, obviously, Ukraine play Austria on the last day. Uh, two wins, 3-2 over Ukraine, which was one of the games of the tournament so far. Uh, maybe arguably game of the tournament before last night's game with Portugal and Germany. And then a fairly routine 2-0 win over Austria. And they, for me, they're they're better than what I thought they were. Um, I thought they could potentially struggle in this group. I thought maybe, you know, they'd go through on four or five points. I think everyone's going to beat North Macedonia and then maybe get a draw or two in the other two and um, and kind of go through in goal difference or something. I didn't expect them to to be qualified after two games, but they've they've looked they've looked half decent. Yeah, I mean, I maybe thought that we would be qualified after two games, um, just because they're they're in a group of beatable teams. Um, but they they were they're better than I thought they were as well. Um, again, the only thing you would say is defensively, if if a big team's coming at them, they're gonna they're gonna concede goals. You know, if you're two 0 up, you're fragile. Like, if you're fragile enough to concede a two goal lead against Ukraine, you know what's in Italy or Belgium or Portugal or any of those teams gonna do to you. Um, but yeah, they've definitely been they've definitely been better better than I thought, and and I sort of thought it was going to be the the pie only show. But the, the, there's other players have really stepped up. You know, I think what what do you call the boy at the back, uh, Dumfries, and that yeah. he's he's got a couple of goals and he's really looked good as well. Uh, I noticed him in the, the Nations League a couple of years ago, uh, the final I think it was or the semi final or whatever, um, and and he was good. But uh, I th- I didn't think he was maybe just as good as he has been. Yeah, Lauren, the, the wing-backs, Ben touches on them there. He obviously mentions Dumfries. I think Van Aalhol's been very advanced as well. I think that really suits those two players who aren't maybe the best defensively. And, you know, Holland have a, a rich tradition of this 3-5-2 or 3-4-3, whatever it is, three at the back formation. It's kind of the Dutch creation, isn't it? And, uh, and the two of them have, have really benefited from that. And I think, you know, the fact that, we mentioned that the back line is not as strong and maybe it helps to have three in there so you're not as exposed. And up front, but um, you know, Depay hasn't really shown as much as what we'd we'd have thought. He's he's kind of been marked out of the game a bit more. But your asset, Weghorst, who you've brought in for this week uh, on fantasy, has uh, has kind of stepped up and done okay. And he looks like the type of player to me who, yeah, uh, you know, a Crystal Palace are going to spend thirty million on, and he's going to be really crap, and he's going to go to fine order in eighteen months. Um, but in terms of this Euros, you know, he's he's been kind of effective and he's he's a big lad, he holds it up and he got his goal the other night and I, I quite enjoy watching him play. Yeah, I think he's been really good. He's he's quite clini- clinical when he does get into the box Um, and I have been impressed with him and my brother, Japan, his fantasy football team and was raving about the pie. Oh, he's going to storm it and then took him out after the first game against Ukraine because he's just anonymous. Um, yeah. I was, I have Dini Wijnaldum in there as well and I think because he just pushes so far forward, it's just as a Liverpool fan, it's so sad to see now that I can't watch him anymore. It makes me really upset. But I think him and Frankie De Jong's been amazing as well. He's not really one you would put in because he doesn't really get the assists or goals or anything. But he just, when he's on his game, you know, Holland are great. And I've read so many articles saying, you know, when Frankie De Jong 
is playing well, then Holland play well. He's kind of the key to it all because the tempo he brings in the midfield and his forward passes, they're just... So I think Holland are a decent side and obviously they were fragile against Ukraine, but I thought they were much better against Austria at the back and the left coming back in obviously helped that a lot. It limped off at the end, so it'll be a big test for them if he's not fit again because, you know, as we've said with Belgium, you know, you bring in Nathan Ake, who hasn't really played this season. The drop in quality is quite substantial. But apart from, you know, the Ukraine game, I thought they were much better against Austria and they were much more controlled. But at the same time, it's probably due to Austria not really venturing forward and really testing them. Yeah, definitely. Austria have been very disappointing, even in that game against Macedonia. I thought they were quite lucky not to be 2-1 down after 70, 75 minutes, to be honest. A couple of moments of quality from good players, but certainly not. don't look like a well-coached side to me. But Pete, Lauren mentions Sir De Jong and Wijnaldum, who are two players, I think, that are, are massively crucial to, to the Netherlands. I think De Jong is probably, I always say this in podcasts, he's the best player I've seen play at Windsor. Uh, that night in that nil-nil, I thought he was absolutely incredible, like just so composed, the way he took the ball on the turn, the way he was kind of controlling things. And that wasn't a good Holland side at the time. It's still not a brilliant Holland side now. But he looks to me like, um, you know, just the, the real world-class elite player in that team. And, and Wijnaldum, Lauren's absolutely right. I'm like, as Liverpool supporters, we're sitting here thinking, like, why on earth is, why why have we not at least seen him play this role for us? Because he looks kind of so effective coming forward and making those late runs. And it's like that Lampard knack of being on the end of everything and being in the right place at the right time. Um, and he is, yeah, he's somebody who I think is just you know, is always going to be there to provide, for example, if Weghorst, we don't know if he's going to provide the goals necessary to get Holland to a semi-final, final, see where they get from there. You know, Depay can be marked out of the game, but that third player in the midfield with Wijnaldum kind of coming in, getting the goals, getting the assists, getting the numbers, you know, that could be that could be big for them. Can you see, you know, I think we all, I, I can't remember who it was that predicted them to flop in this sort of, it might have been me actually, um, but can you see them, you know, up against the big team, a decent side in Italy or anything, can you see them giving them any problems or do you think they'll just kind of get through the grips, do kind of what's necessary and then um, go out at the first sign of adversity? I, I can't really see them advancing further than a quarter final. I suppose it depends on the draw. Who do they, you don't know who they are likely to face. Uh, what are they, Group C? I'll find out for you. Yeah. I, you know, the draw needs to be kind to them. I can't really see them getting past the quarter finals. I think they're too open. Uh, at the back but they are exciting to watch I'd love to see them advance you know they give it they give teams a real scare and they'd make for entertain, entertaining viewing and it's uh, nice to see Holland back in a major tournament or the Netherlands even um, yeah so their their um, their quarterfinal is going to be on Sunday 27th of June well there's one group C so it's going to be against third in groups D E or F so you know potentially actually could be that that Germany Portugal, France team, which could be interesting, or it could be, you know, third and group B, which looks like it could be what Poland or or even Slovakia at this point, and third and group D could be Croatia or Scotland. So, you know, it's a, it's a real uh, double edged sword for them as to, as to who they get there. Hmm. Yeah, I can't see, I can't see the Netherlands going all the way. No. It's a, bit too, a bit too flaky. I think if, again, I don't think they've been properly tested. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no, absolutely. And they're not going to be properly tested uh, tomorrow night against Macedonia either, Ben. But the, the other two teams, I guess, you know, we kind of talked in the preview podcast about, about um, Austria and Ukraine being two teams we've played fairly recently, obviously Ukraine in the friendly and uh, Austria in, in both Nations League, actually. They've been this every time. Uh, but to me, Austria, you know, 
I touted them as somebody who could potentially do something at this tournament. They're quite efficient. They've had the same team together for quite a while and good players playing the high level in the Bundesliga, like Baumgartner, Sabitzer and, and, and players like this. But you want to touch a little bit on Ukraine because they really made a game of it in that first game against Holland. And, uh, you know, a side that's been together five or six years, good players. Obviously, uh, you've got Yarmolenko, at, at, which who you know all about being a West Ham supporter. Um, and it was no surprise for me that they dismantled Macedonia with relative ease. And, uh, you know, they're going to find themselves in the in the knockout rounds and, uh, you know, a good draw and they could they could make it difficult for a big team. Yeah, no, I've been very, very impressed with them. Um, I'm just glad they're playing this way now and not five years ago. Um, so, or the um, women's team. Yeah, now you're talking, yeah. Um, but uh, I was I was watching this fellow, Yarmolenko, and I was saying on West Ham, should try and sign him. Uh, and then I remember he actually plays for them because he's been absolutely shite for about two years. But he seems when he goes to the national team, that's just what he wants to do. Um, Dufair hasn't got a lot of much of a chance for West Ham, but you know, it's not only he scored that wonder goal in the first game, but he's he, he just he's just worked really hard, he's been creative, he's he's, he's been excellent. Um, now they've been really, really impressive. And you know, I I don't know, maybe we, we did the podcast straight after the friendly with them, and I suppose it's hard sometimes to kind of give a you know a straight away a, a reaction. And when I when I think about it there, you know. They created a lot, a lot of chances against us. And I know it wasn't our full team and stuff, but it's kind of what they're doing now. You know, they're creating chances. Um, they're they're looking, they're looking like a good side. Now they're not they're not gonna go much further. Again, I don't know who they'll play. Um, but you know, they're certainly from from not getting out of the group five years ago to you know, really they were unlucky against Holland, I, I think. Um they deserve, in my opinion, they probably deserve the point uh from it. Yeah. Um, so and, and I, I, I was I think if my, my prediction was certainly what I think now anyway is that I thought Austria would, would walk second in that group and it's certainly I, I fancy maybe I fancy Ukraine to get it now yeah I think I think Ukraine will, will beat Austria as well I think um, who is it that has the uh, the superior goal difference because they're both they're, sorry they're both the same goal difference same yeah um, but Austria or sorry Ukraine um, had the two goals against Holland so they'll have the goal scored so a draw would be enough I think for for Ukraine in that game, and yeah, I'd, I've, I, I think you'd be a very brave man to back Austria to actually go and win that yeah. game. Now, I think Ukraine will come second in that group, and and deservedly so because they've been far more fun than Ukraine, and or sorry, they've been far more fun than Austria, um, and they look a better team than Austria to me. And I'd much rather watch Ukraine in the next round than I would Austria. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, that's Group A to C. Good stuff. We've rattled through those. Here is your quiz for today. Okay, so um, I was doing this thing again where it's not coming up. There we go. Okay. So, Northern Ireland's top 20 appearance makers in the 21st century. Okay, so top 20 appearance makers in the 21st century. So, from 2000 to present, who has made, who are the top 20 teams uh, who have made the, uh, the, uh, the most appearances for Northern Ireland? Uh, so, for example, just if somebody played from, say, 1996 to 2004, only their caps from 2000 to 2004 are counted. So, it's not like players who have played in the 21st century, all their caps count. It's just caps in the 21st century. Okay, so uh, Lauren, Pete and Ben are frantically scribbling down here. You, I don't know if it's uh, fake it until you make it, but you're looking very, very confident sat up there in the top right. Um, any questions on the uh, on the, the kind of quiz or everyone happy enough? Uh, no, happy enough. Good stuff. All right, I'm going to so- be happy once it's over. <laughs> yeah so top 20 i don't actually have the you know if you get one wrong i don't actually have the 
uh, caps of players, you know, 21st, 22nd or whatever. It was Jason Rothwell drummed this up for me. Again, big shout out to him. Absolute stato, absolute genius. Um, he, well, it was my idea to do this and he, he did all the hard work. So yeah, nice one, Jason. Um, so let's see, what are we going to do? Uh, Lauren, given that you uh, probably weren't even born for part of this century, I think, um, and given that Ben has seen kind of every game in this century and remembers it well, uh, I'll let you go first on this one, Ben. You can go last because you're <laughs> Ben. You can go last because you're defending your title, and Pete, you can go in the middle. So, uh, Lauren, any player, any player from the top twenty appearance makers for Northern Ireland since two thousand? Um, I'll play it safe, like first one, as you said. I'm a two thousand and one, so I've I've missed a year, uh, <laughs> one year. Just didn't see the first year, so. I'll go Steve Davis. Yeah, Steve Davis, absolutely correct. Obviously, number one on there. 126 appearances yeah. in his Northern Ireland <laughs> career from 2004. Okay, Pete, you're up next. Uh, Johnny Evans. Johnny Evans is correct. Yeah, he's number four on the list. Uh, he played 91 times uh, since 2000. Four, mm-hmm. um, All right, Ben. Aaron Hughes. Aaron Hughes is number two. He's played 102 times. Okay, so good start. We've got one, two, and four. Lauren so who have I had, sorry, just to had, so I can score it? You've had Steve Davis, Aaron Hughes, and Johnny Evans. Okay. Okay, Lauren, you're up. Um, Gareth McCauley. Gareth McCauley is correct. Yeah, number seven on the list, uh, plays 80 times. By the way, number 20, um, the lowest one has 45 caps. So any player to have over 45 caps in the 21st century will be will be on this list. Okay, back to you, Pete. Uh, Kyle Lafferty. Kyle Lafferty is number five. Yeah, makes 83 caps since 2000. Okay. So we've got one, two, four, five, and seven. Ben. Um, Mike Taylor. Mike Taylor is number six. Yeah, plays 80 times. Good answer. Lauren, any idea who he is? No? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lauren, you're back up. Um, Roy Carroll. Roy Carroll is... Oh, Roy Carroll is wrong, Lauren. I'm really sorry. You're right. Um, I'm not sure how many appearances he does have. Um, let me just look it up dead quick while I give Pete and Ben a bit of thinking time. Uh, Roy Carroll, wiki. That always does the job. Let's see how close you were. See, he he, he, he was around for a long time. Like Lauren, but, yeah. He was in a night. So he has, yeah. he's 45 caps in his Northern Ireland career, but he started in 1997. So if he if he if he'd played that many times um post two thousand you would have had it so yeah I'd say you're you're very close on that one so unlucky um okay Pete and Ben fighting it out Pete for your second title Ben for your second title as well I mean Pete has had about four or five goes at this so it's not really comparable but <laughs> Peter you haven't uh who am I gonna go for uh Stuart Dallas goes fiftieth. Stuart Dallas. Yes, you're absolutely right. Stuart Dallas at number 16. Uh, plays 56 times. Okay. Ben? Uh, Healy. David Healy's number three. Mm-hmm. Plays 95 times. Okay, so you've got the you've got the top seven and the 16th. So uh so so Pete, you're back up. So yeah, obviously, Pete, you went you went before Ben. So if you get one wrong, Ben would still have to get one right to win. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Chris Brunt. Chris Brunt is correct. Number 10, plays 65 times since 2000. Ben? Chris Baird. Chris Baird is also correct. Yeah, he's number eight, plays 79 times. Uh, so you've got nine of the top 10 and 16th. Okay, back to you, Pete. 
for a number of players. Uh, oh, I'm not sure now. Gillespie must be on the list. Keith Gillespie, yeah, is on the list somewhere. Um, yeah, he has played 57 times in the 21st century. He's at number 15. Any good shouts? Back to you, Ben. Damien Johnson. Damien Johnson. Damien Johnson. Um, Has to be. Let's see. I don't think I have him on here. Let me just check that 100%. Um, let me go back. Give me two seconds. Because I would have thought that that would have been one as well. Under goal against Poland. Indeed, yeah. Uh, sorry, Damien Johnson is on there. Plays 53 times. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So Damien Johnson is correct. Where's he on the list? He is 17th. 17th. Trying to work out why. Oh, sorry. Um, there's the reason that it is is because there's actually 21 here because there's two players where uh, we're on 45. Well, yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, okay. yes, yeah, so sorry, Damien Johnson. <clears throat> I knew I saw him. I knew I saw him on the list. That's why I was surprised. So yeah, Damien Johnson's right. Sorry for the heart attack, Ben. Um, <laughs> okay, so you've got yeah nine of the top ten and 15th to 17th. Okay, so back to you, Pete. Yeah, I... um, surely, surely Cathcart's in there. Cathcart is in there, yeah, yes. number 12. Yes. 61 caps. Yep. Uh, okay, Ben? Jim Magilton has to be in there. Jim Magilton, I don't have on here. Let me just check there quickly. Uh, Jim Magilton. Let's see. So Jim Magilton. Jim Magilton retires in Northern Ireland in 2002, Ben. So he plays 91 to 2002. So Pete, congratulations. You are the champion. Thank you. All right, I'll see you later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other ones you wanted to throw out there? Uh, Ollie Norwood. Ollie Norwood would have been right, yeah, number 14. Why didn't I go with Adler? McGinn. <laughs> McGinn would have been right, yeah, 66 caps and at number 11. Grant McCann. Stevie Loomis. No McCann, no Loomis. Lauren, any shots? No. <laughs> Michael okay. Hughes. Who, sorry? Michael Hughes. Michael Hughes, not on there. No, I'll rattle through them. Uh, so number nine was Corey Evans, 66 caps. Yeah, Corey Evans. Um, 13 was Josh McGinnis, 61 caps. Of course. Um, really? 17. You'll kick yourselves over this. Stephen Cregan, 54 caps. Yeah. My mate had I not got that one. <laughs> I know. Um, listener to the podcast about now. I don't know. Uh, he follows us on Twitter anyway. Shane Ferguson, 49 caps. That's a bit of a mad one. Shane Ferguson in there. Yeah. yeah. I've already thought that. Uh, Warren Feeney was last on 45 caps. He was uh, number 20. And Paddy McNair, 47. Damn. There you go. Yeah, interesting one there. Okay, enjoyed that. Well done, well done Pete. Pete. Um, so Pete on Pete on two titles now. Everyone else pretty much on one. Um, okay, let's go back to the Euros and let's finish except, off. Except Lauren. Except well, except Lauren, but Lauren's only Lauren's only contested <laughs> one. So let's not let's not ah, let's, not, let's not get the dates in too much. <laughs> um, all right. Well, listen, Lauren, to console yourself, you can go first on this one because England Scotland the other night was is a game that everyone's kind of been talking about, isn't it? Um. England, to me, look like a, a team who have just hyped themselves up far too much again. It goes without saying. They do it every every two years. And uh, 
even the volatility of a cup competition, even, you know, for example, Portugal in 2016, they weren't the best team in the tournament, but I don't even think that can, that's enough to sway England at this point. I think if they come up against a, a streetwise team like an Italy or a France or a Portugal or somebody like that, um, I don't think they're going to be able to, to do anything. I don't know about you. Yeah, obviously against Scotland, they weren't good. I even watched them against Croatia. I wasn't that impressed. Obviously, they got the win, but apart from they came out the first <laughs> 10 minutes and they dominated, but from then, Croatia kind of grew into the game. And then against Scotland, the same, they had some chances, but, you know, Scotland held, for, held firm and they couldn't break them down, which is, you know, seeing their attacking quality, you're like, hi. And even the changes, you know, it made, I'm a big Jaden Sancho fan and I just struggled to see how a man who has you know, double figures for good contributions in the Bundesliga the last three years doesn't even get on the pitch for mm. any amount of minutes when you have an out-of-form Raheem Sterling and a Phil Foten who hasn't really, he hit the post against Croatia, but I've failed to really see what he's done so far in the tournament. So I think as well... But, but Lauren, he, he, he cut his hair like Paul Gascoigne. Yeah. You know, see that? Yeah, so, yeah, and he put, <laughs> so who cares? Yeah. So that's that. Yeah, and he, he put the photo of the recreation on a Snapchat story, so he was going to recreate it when he, he got his gold that go. never came. <laughs> um, and there was obviously the clamour to keep Phillips in there, but Phillips and Rice, it's kind of counterintuitive when you're playing a team like Scotland that are just going to sit back, even if you play Phillips in a more advanced role. So I just think there's question marks all over the pitch. I don't think Southgate really knows his best starting 11, the most effective starting 11 when you're coming up against different sides. And, you know, Scotland, fair play to them in the first game, I kind of thought they were a bit soft-centred and I thought England were going to win two or three. But fair play, you know, Billy Gilmore in there was unbelievable and they defended so well. Yeah, Pete made a bit of money off that one, didn't they? Uh, Billy Gilmore, man of the match, I think. Um, you had a had a few quid on that. Uh, let's just have a look at the group here. Czech Republic, four, England, four. Czech Republic, obviously, uh, have the goal difference on England. So a draw in that final game will mean England finish second. So a lot of people were talking about how if England finish second, they might actually get an easier draw, but that could actually be Spain now, uh, given that if Sweden win their last game against Poland, as we'll come on to talk about, uh, Sweden will win the group and Spain could potentially be second. So it, it could be a case of England's potential four opponents are France, Germany, Portugal or Spain. So I don't really think there's any massive benefit in them uh, in them not finishing top of the group, as we previously talked about. Uh, Croatia and Scotland there on one point kind of a winner takes all scenario a draw is not going to be enough for either of those but a winch will definitely be enough for both of them and so that could be a good game to watch I think I'll probably tune into that one on uh, well is it Monday night whenever it is but Ben uh, we, we had to go we kind of had to go with Pete for for uh, his prediction of uh, Turkey topping Group A so I'm going to come to you on uh, your bodying of Stephen O'Donnell in the, in the pre-pod because he had a fairly good game uh, against England and uh, nearly scores a goal and, and it's just solid throughout really he was, on that. he was pissed in the first game was he I, d- I didn't really get seeing it to be fair so um, well fair enough but anyway you know Steve Clark he's um, he's not the most inspired manager he's he's a bit conservative I think he's never really going to take that risk to play Che Adams in that first game and that's cost them overall uh, in that first game where everyone kind of thought that had to be their Ukraine that had to be the game in which they go on to win but what he is, is he's a good defensive manager. Anywhere he's been, that team has had a strong defence. Kilmarnock, they were notoriously difficult to play against up on that 4G pitch. When he was at West Brom, again, great defence. And even when he was um, assistant manager to Kenny Dalglish at Liverpool, um, we had a very poor season that year, but we didn't concede many goals. Uh, and he looks like a team that can that can set a, 
he looks like he can set a team up to to kind of um, play in that way against England. Although against Croatia at home, pressure on them to kind of go forward and get the win. Do you think he has what it takes to, to pick a side to go and win that game? Well, just on your O'Donnell thing, O'Donnell was brilliant against England, but I was still dropping for this game for Nathan Patterson because Croatia are there to get be get at and Nathan Patterson is far better going forward than O'Donnell um, and he need, they need to win this game. So I would, I would definitely still do that. Um, I, I would I would also, I would I drop dykes for them and I would put, your, your point is, but from Hibs, I mean, he's a, he's a goal machine. Like he, he's a goal scorer. He's a brilliant, brilliant finisher. Um, so I, I would have him up with Shea Adams. Shea Adams was good. Dykes was good, like, you know, working hard and stuff, but he doesn't look like he's going to put the ball in the net. I do, I do laugh though. I do. I must laugh though. At um, when you watch Scotland before the game, to be fair, them they're all singing the anthem like mad. But like you hear, you hear Lyndon Dyke singing it in his full-on Australian accent, and uh, <laughs> yeah. Scott McTominay in his Manchester accent and all. And it's like I know, I know. Obviously, we have players that aren't born in Northern Ireland and that, but they're not belting out the anthem like, or they're like as if they're you know. I mean, they may as well have been standing there in kilts, like you know. <laughs> I know, yeah. I, I did notice that myself, actually. Like, the, the whole team were obviously told to sing it. I think in the, the Wheels team, the Wheels anthem is even more mad because that's actually in Welsh and you've got English players who clearly haven't a clue what they're saying, <laughs> but belting it out as if they're the most passionate Welshmen in the world. Uh, Pete, yeah, Gab, come on to you. Give you a bit of uh, time to talk about England because I know Ben wants to talk a little bit about the Czech Republic, one of his a million surprise packages that he touted <laughs> for this tournament. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, England, in that first game, I thought they actually did look decent. Uh, I expected Croatia. I expected a bit more from Croatia. I think Croatia, um, very much lack of Mandzukic up front, very much lack of focal point. Rebic mm. hasn't really done it this tournament. You know, he, I think he's still living off that goal against Argentina in the last World Cup, isn't he? And then there's there's a big there's a big lad that, that comes on and does nothing. But they're really lacking that that kind of player to, to hold things up and bring the likes of really good players in behind, like like Pasalic and um, obviously Perisic gets a goal the other night and Brekalo. There's a lot of good players to have in behind there, but. Yeah, I mean, England, as Lauren kind of touches on, the Phillips-Rice thing, it worked well against Croatia. They kind of were able to smother Brozovic, Modric, uh, Kovacic, those midfielders. And the front four were good enough to really do it by themselves. But against Scotland, I don't know, did they look, did they look tired to you? Did they look just... Um, uh, they weren't in any sort of a flow. They didn't really penetrate. They didn't really get into Scotland's box. And uh, it wasn't like Spain against Sweden where they were battering the door down. yeah. It's difficult to know. I think, like what you touched on, the personnel suited Croatia. Phillips is a bit of a destroyer in midfield. Rice is solid. But trying to play against Scotland, I don't think it, it doesn't suit that midfield. I think his studies in the two games, Declan Rice has made a couple of forward passes or something. Ridiculous. Mm. It's a bit mad. But they both... Don't they both you dare. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I forgot you're a West Ham fan, Ben, but... With the greatest respect to West Ham and Leeds, you know, they're not teams that necessarily play the sort of possession-based style that Southgate's trying to create. Leeds are gung-ho, end-to-end, which that game wasn't. West Ham under Moyes are necessarily, they don't necessarily have 70% of the ball and try and break teams down. So maybe they're not the type of creative... They don't have 7%? <laughs> uh, exactly. I mean, they're not really, the t- they're not used to at a club level trying to break down teams who sit back. Um, Kane looked a bit flat I suppose he didn't get the service um, I, you know after a result like that the English media it's all going to be reactionary 
I think we'll understand more about England after the Czech Republic game. One, you want to see a reaction. And two, does Gareth Southgate change the personnel, which clearly needs to be changed in a game against the Czech Republic? Like, I think he's had he's shown loyalty to Sterling, who's never let him down. But it, despite the goal against Croatia, he hasn't been good. Mm-hmm. I think everyone will agree he hasn't been great. Uh, do you bring in Jude Bellingham? Do you start Sancho? You know, I I think they should. I think I think an England second team could beat Czech Republic. I don't mm-hmm. rate them. Yeah, uh, that's just my opinion. I think Scotland were better than Czech Republic. Shit goal was a freak, and he got a header. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, I thought Scotland were better than. So I wouldn't write England off just yet. Uh, I'll wait and see what they do against Czech Republic. Yeah, completely fair. Uh, ben, Pete doesn't rate the Czechs. Uh, you have, you know, obviously. Can I just yeah. talk about England first for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So just just on the race thing, um, Declan Rice for for West Ham when he's been when he's had like like a side check and stuff beside him, um, he's he's made bursting runs. You know, he's come forward. He's he's, he's actually improved on that. But I don't think he's allowed to in it for England. I, I think he's solely Southgate has yeah. told him sit there, do nothing else. Yeah. Um, which is why he, which why he hasn't. He, he's a far better player than, um, and I'm not just saying that because West Ham, but he's a far better player than he's being allowed to be. Um, and I, and I think in that England game, I, I honestly honestly think that they were playing for a draw so that they could try and get second. And it might, as you say, it might backfire on them. But like, you don't play two defensive midfielders at home to Scotland. Like, you just don't like with the players they have. And as Lauren said there about Sancho and being you know one of the most golem involvements or whatever in the Bundesliga he's the most assists or goal involvements in the entire England squad and the fella's not even I think in the first game he wasn't even on the bench yeah he hasn't know. played a minute has he that's, that's, a bias, that's a bias because he's not playing in England 100% has yeah. to be like it's um, that idea it's that classic I, I, English um, mindset of oh that silly foreign league or whatever he doesn't yeah. play in the Premier League so we don't you know we, we're not going to touch him right so I just, yeah, I just think that I think Southgate is really in, inhibiting them. Um, and, and I agree with you, like Sterling, Sterling, like I don't understand how he, well, especially how he played the full game the other day. Fair enough, he got his goal against Croatia. Um, but but like how he stayed on. And then even the subs, I mean, Harry Kane's been crap, which I've very much enjoyed. Um, but um, like when you're bringing Harry Kane off, Calvert-Lewin's been banging goals in all season, and then you don't bring on a number nine, you bring on Marcus Rashford, who's a good player, but he's, he's not he's not a through-the-middle striker and hasn't played that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. And the, yeah, it's like Rashford's one of those players who he's in the team for like the greater good. He, he works in the system really, mm-hmm. but it wasn't it wasn't the system that was going to, uh, it wasn't a system for me that was going to break down Scotland. Maybe it's a shift there. They didn't play the two defensive midfielders, but it wasn't attacking, you know, personnel in the sense that we can get somebody in behind there. There was no space in behind mm-hmm. for them. And um, it was, you know, somebody like Calvert-Lewin, you can potentially, you know, get a ball into the box. Everyone's seen his leap. And that's, that's a way you can kind of scrape a win against the Scotland in, in games like that. I know that, yeah, to, to me, they just don't look like a team that's going to win it. But, but Ben, they're quick, just um, Pete doesn't rate the checks, but you, I think, have been quite impressed by them. They uh, obviously get that win over Scotland. I, I actually agree with Pete. I thought Scotland were probably the better team in that one, um, in the sense that, you know, obviously uh, the checks get a breakaway goal. Well, <laughs> kind of a breakaway goal, just a, a, an absolute thunderbolt from the halfway line. But they, you know, for to me, it looked, it looked inevitable that Scotland were going to equalise before that. And I think they probably would have done. Um, if they hadn't got that goal. But yeah, I mean, they, they settled for a point against the, the Croatia. They're a fairly effective side. Obviously, they've got a couple of West Ham lads in there that I'm sure you're going to talk about. 
Yeah, um, yeah, and probably a few future signings away we go. It seems to be all with up in time. But uh, yeah, um, I mean, Sue Fowl puts in a brilliant cross, and that's where the first goal came from um, in the Scotland game. Um, you know, they're they're efficient. That's what you would say about the Czechs. And and they're like I said, I think I said on the preview pod, they're like a they're like a club side, and a lot of them. Um, would have, would play together for Slavia Prague and that, and they they've been making progress in Europe like the last couple of seasons have done really well, um, which I think is helping them. They just seem to have a real togetherness that maybe some other countries don't have. The only thing I would say though is like Czechs are top of the group and they're doing really really well. But like did it, did everyone watch that um, game against a game against Croatia the penalty yeah. that they got? Yeah, so ridiculous. That, that was shambolic. Like so, they really effectively yes, they should should have three points. So you know that's. I don't, I don't understand that decision. But. Yeah, fair enough. Well, if, if the Czech Republic are like a club side, England are like a pub side, get in. <laughs> um, okay, let's have a look at Group E. Lauren, I'll come to you first. Um, I don't know why my thing's sticking so much. There it is. So um, you were telling me that you're doing you're doing Spanish as part of your degree. You're, you're doing the whole thing where you're reading up all these articles. You're getting bang into the Spanish national team. It's kind of similar to me. Try living in France the year after they won a World Cup in Northern Ireland were cheated out of. Oh, it was absolutely painful. But... Um, Looking at this group, I mean, who would have predicted this so far? I mean, it could all change. You'd expect Sweden to get that, or Spain to get that win over Slovakia, uh, but Sweden top of the group four points. So if they beat if they beat Poland in the last day, they are top of the group. Um, Slovakia on three, Spain on two, and Poland on one. So you know, if you're Slovakia there, you're probably looking at that thinking, you know, a point gets us through, a point gets us in four points, and for Spain, three points, uh, neutral goal difference. I'm not sure if that will be enough. I mean. There's been a lot of chat about them. Um, how have you kind of viewed them so far? Yeah, when I was reading, like even going on this morning, some of the articles and they're saying this is the biggest final before any sort of final should be played. So the Spanish media are rightly fuming because, as you've said, they're great, but apart, they're great in the middle, but in both boxes, they're just so poor. And, you know, loads of people were clamoring for Moreno to come in and he did and he did well, but they're so wasteful in front of goal. You know, he misses a penalty, he misses another chance. Morata gets his goal, but yeah. in the... He's not really a winger, game. is he? He's, he's a number nine as far as I knew, but maybe I'm wide of the mark. Yeah, I think he's kind of like a wide forward and he always okay. seems to yeah. drift in Moreno. So then he came in for Ferran Torres. He was really disappointing in the first game and, you know, there was a load of hype that if... Murata's not going to score the goals in the likes of Danny Olmo and Ferran Torres will provide them because they do at club level. They can always seem to pop up with a few goals, but they just haven't done it yet. And I think they've really missed Busquets. Him getting COVID just before the tournament really kind of offset what they were trying to do. Because if you have Busquets in there, you can play the likes of Thiago and Pedri and can progress forward a bit more. But with Rodri, it's he needs a bit more protection. So he needs to put Koke in there and then... I, I don't really get his decision. Marcus Llorente, one of the best players in La Liga this season, but as a right midfielder, not as a right back. Mm-hmm. And you have Cesar Azpilicueta, who's had an unbelievable season for Chelsea, sitting on the bench. And can't but I, I don't understand that decision. And I think Luis Enrique is so sat on the 4-3-3 that he just tries to shoehorn his best players into those positions just because he's so intent on playing this formation. And it just hasn't worked so far. And obviously, you know, He's brought in a board, but I, I think he's really struggled so far. He was outjumped, outmuscled by Lewandowski mm-hmm. for the header against Poland. And they've just, even his substitutions, Enrique, you know, Adama Traore, okay, he's not the best player in the world, but when you're playing against Poland, maybe just that injection of pace, he would have brought something down because all the subs just seem to be like for like. He takes off Koke, 
he brings on Sarabi and you're you're not really getting much more. So I think everybody's just been underwhelmed, but they have been creating the chances. But if you're not clinical enough, then you're not going to go through. And if you're creating loads of chances against these low box and not taking them, you know, they're just going to just grow into the game. And, you know, they really took heart from the goal that they had and they just defended for their lives. And you didn't think Spain were going to break them down. No, Ben, I think poor in both boxes is, is exactly the way I'd describe this. Spain side, we all know their their culture, their style, their tick-attack of football. They can keep 80%, 90% possession against pretty much any team in the world. But, you know, they're not, they haven't got that clinical number nine. I think Morata is actually, I'll stick up for him a little bit here. I think he's a very good player off the ball. Um, I think, you know, Luis Enrique saying about how he picks Morata and 10 others. I think that's, there's an element of that's just, you know, let me, let me give him a bit of confidence and you put the arm around him. But there's also an element of that where, you know, he is quite key to the way they attack and how they play. And, you know, there's, he does a lot of impressive work off the ball, but they don't have that player. They don't have that ruthless striker to take the chances. And at the other end, you know, for me, I look at that kind of style of play, the positional play where, you know, they, they play, what, 30 or 40 passes before they attack to make sure everyone's right in this structure. And I think that style of play, when they lose the ball, it can make some absolute cabbages of centre-halves look quite good because they've always got players around them. They're always in a structure and they're never really exposed. However, when it comes down to like the nitty-gritty defending, when, you know, inevitably there are situations, whether it's from a set piece, whether it's from the bounce of a ball, where you just need like a, I don't know, a Chiellini or a, you know, an experienced head in there, like a, like just one Sergio Ramos or Van Dyke who knows what to do. You know, you can you can positional play until you're blue in the face, but at the end of the day, you need good defenders in there. And for me, they look fairly soft in the in the defensive box as well. But overall, they've just been a bit boring, haven't they? I it's it's to be honest, with you, it's sad to watch because I used to love watching Spain, and they were just a joy to watch play football, pass teams, but actually have an end product at the end of it, and. Honestly, it's been boring. That's exactly the word. Uh, they just they look vulnerable at the back. A good team at the against them, and they're going to concede goals. My only one that fought the port was French. Or yeah, yeah, he James. he switched. He switched. Oh, did he? Yeah. Euros, yeah. Right. So okay. he was actually yeah. he was on new substitute four times for France. All right. Okay. Okay. Um, but I look I look at the I look at some of their decision making in the squad now. I know Real Madrid haven't had a good season or anything but they have no like they not have Asensio I don't know maybe these players are injured or something but Asensio Isco players like that they need a spark and those are players that although they didn't have wonderful seasons they certainly could provide something um, I don't think Murata is the best in the world but I certainly don't think he's their, their biggest problem you know he's, he, he has affected games um, they just they're just far too slow and methodical and it's just it's boring yeah yeah, it is. And, I, and and Pete, they just look like a team. We've said this about quite a few teams we've talked about so far. Pretty much everyone apart from, well, um, Italy and then probably two of the teams we're going to come on to talk about in the next group, Portugal and France. We're seeing about a lot of teams, you know, they're decent enough. They're effective. They've been good to watch. But ultimately, when they come up against a real streetwise opponent, um, they might come unstuck, you know what I mean? And, and Spain, to me, look a bit like that. I mean, they can pass a team to death, but... I think against these bigger nations, there's always going to be one or two moments. So you're going to get one or two chances yourself, big chances. Spain yeah. don't, don't look like they're going to take them. And the other team are also going to get two or three moments where you know they're, they've are they worked it into a good position. And to me, Spain don't look like they have that ruthlessness in their own box um, to keep them out. So I think I could just see them you know, playing against a half-decent team and getting beat 2-0 and it all being a bit uh, uninspiring. Yeah, they're not, they're not the Spain of old. I mean... When we think of Spain, Javi, Iniesta, Villa, Torres, you know, 
scary team to play against. You know you're going to be under the pump and they're going to create chances. There I said, they're just passive. <laughs> you know what I mean? They just play everything in front of the defence. Nothing really goes in behind. I, I mean, I, I know you've talked about talked about Murata being crucial to the way they play. I just, I don't think you can build a, a championship winning team around Murata up top. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. my bottom line. Uh, but I, I agree with everything that the other guys have, have really touched on. I, I think even if England got Spain in the next round, I don't think you'd be too worried. I think England could beat Spain. Because um, mm. they haven't been too impressive. Tell you what, if we were in that group, <laughs> would you fancy us no. against Spain? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, not, not fancy us against Spain, but maybe keep them out for 19 minutes, get a nil nil. Let me tell you, Craig Cathcart would look, make Murata look like the best striker of all time. Um, okay, <laughs> let's move on to the Group F because we want to spend a little bit more time talking about this. Uh, we've got another 15 minutes or so uh, to do here before people have to go, I think. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 a group of death. It's it's one of the most... I mean, it's a shame kind of we can't go through all the games and, and talk about them individually, but uh, who will come to you first? Pete, you wanted to chat a bit about Germany because I think you were one of the only ones who actually predicted them to do well in this group. I think you predicted them to top the group. Many people had them... I mean, more or less everyone else had them finishing third. Uh, a lot of people actually thought that maybe they would finish fourth and Hungary would would beat them in the last day. And, you know, they, under Joachim Löw, they've not, um, you know, he's going at the end of this campaign. He's, for the last, really, since they won the World Cup, they haven't been all that inspiring. Um, they've got an aging side. There's not really that superstar in there in the sense that, you know, Poland have a Lewandowski or Spain at Herb. France have an Mbappe, but yesterday that system they play with the wing backs, they just absolutely took Portugal apart, and it was incredible to watch. It was very reminiscent of uh, the Spain's five-one win against Holland in twenty ten. Yeah, oh, it was just superb. I don't really like Portugal. I think, as I've said before, I think they're boring, even with the players they've got now. And it was just fantastic to see them get dismantled. I think Germany did it at a World Cup. They beat Portugal four-one in the group. I was rubbing my hands thinking, here we go, they're back. Because I, I actually really like watching Germany play and their style. It's it's just really effective. And they always create chances uh, when they're when they're purring. I I think against Hungary they could do the same. Um so I'm gonna load up my fantasy team full of German players. I think what's also impressive is Portugal generally are quite good defensively. When they sit back, they can normally keep teams at bay and they can keep clean sheets. And yeah, it was just great to watch a team being able to break that down and just dismantle it. Yeah, 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 it it was. Lauren Goossens is, is, I have to admit, uh, it's not a player I'd actually ever heard of before this tournament. Um, I wasn't expecting him. I kind of looked at it and thought, well, I haven't heard of two or three of these players, which is weird for a Germany team. But he was just—he was just outrageous yesterday. Kimmich, I think, is just one of the best footballers in this tournament. One of those beautiful technical players to watch. He's just so silky, and uh, you know, uh, you can see why Pep Guardiola absolutely loved him. But he's, yeah, it, it was—it it was those wing backs really that that did it for me. I think you know they just had that—they um, had that formation down to a T. They clearly looked at Portugal. They clearly seen where they could get um, a bit of joy. And they, they exposed it time and time and time again. And uh, it looks like a, they just look like a team who, for, you know, nobody really had them amongst the Italy's, amongst the France's, amongst the Portugal's to, to go and win this. But if they can, 
if they can, like kind of get a bit of momentum from that game yesterday. And I think they'll beat Hungary at home. Then, listen, why not? Never ride off the Germans, as they say. Yeah, I think that, as you've said, they don't have that star player, but more of the collective and the formation, the system really suited them. And, you know, I think Joachim Lowe did really well to target Portugal's fullbacks. You know, Guerrero, he's used to bomb forward. I don't think he's the best defensively. And then I think they had Danilo in because Cancelo is also out with COVID. So I think Germany did really well to exploit that. And after the first game, I kind of wondered, you know, I love seeing, I love Kimmich, but I think he's one of the best centre-fielders in the world. So to see him playing wing-back against France, obviously it was probably the stem of the threat that they had, but I thought he was kind of wasted. But not yesterday, he was brilliant. And Gossens as well, you know, every single attack, everything dangerous came from that. And as well, you know, Havertz was in the right place at the right time. He's, he's such a weird player. Like, I don't really know... <laughs> I did a scrap kind of a false nine or just a wide forward, but he just drifts and he just gets in the dangerous areas. And, you know, you just thought every time Germany went forward, they were going to score because they had those two wing backs bombing on. They had Havertz, Gnabry coming into the box and it was, it was crazy. And Portugal took the lead. It was completely against the run of play. You know, it was a brilliant counter attacking goal, but you never really thought even when they got the second goal back that Germany were going to lose it. So it was just, I was shocked to say the least. I thought Portugal were going to win that because I haven't really been impressed with Germany since the World Cup and I thought it was a bit foolish to keep Joachim Lowe on for this tournament, but he proved everybody wrong yesterday and it was, yeah, I think they will go through and it will be tough for whoever they come up against. Yeah, it, it their team's a bit of a nerd's dream, isn't it? Because they've got like three <laughs> or four false nines in there. They've got Gnabry, they've Muller, they've got Havertz, and then the wing backs. So you can just see all the nerds getting the triangles out and doing Pythagoras theorem. But um, but Ben, France, I think we need to touch on them a little bit because I, I really enjoyed the game yesterday. I've really enjoyed the the games that Hungary's been playing in just because you've got the 61,000 in there and they've made a real game of it. They made a real game of it against Portugal and they made a real game of it yesterday. But France, like... At times, I wouldn't be overly worried with that one all against Hungary because the first half they were cutting them open like like a, like a like a hot knife through butter. It was really incredible to watch those front three in tandem, and I was kind of thinking in my head whether Giroud always being there and being so hugely inferior to Mbappe and and Griezmann. I wondered if he, you know, him being that functional player who was you know, um, happy to solely dedicate himself to the team. I wondered if that was just what France were. Um, were, were if that's exactly what they needed, um, because Benzema didn't have a really great game against Germany for me. But yesterday he was, you know, he was getting the chances. He was linking up with them, and the, their front three just looked absolutely terrifying. And uh, I don't think they'll have a problem going through. And I've been quite impressed with them, even though you know that that result yesterday against Hungary was a bit of a shocker, really. Yeah, no, I, I, they're gonna go through. There's no, no doubt about that. And I think there's encouraging signs for them. Um, disappointing result, obviously. Um, but hungry, we're definitely just hungry for the game. Um, but uh, sorry, I had to get that in there. Um, Dear me. But um, no, as as I was saying, the the fact that the, the link up play between Benzema and Mbappe yesterday was really really good. Uh, they weren't they weren't putting the ball in the net, which is obviously the problem. But if they continue to do that, and you know, because because Benzema hasn't played in what how many years? Five six years or something for France. Um, he hasn't played with Mbappe, so you know they're just sort of finding their feet together. And if they continue to do that going through, they will, you know, they'll start to score goals. There's no doubt with, the, with those two players. Um, I fancy now, strangely enough, I fancy Germany. Obviously, they'll, they'll beat Hungary, I think, and they'll win the group because I fancy a draw in Portugal, France. 
which I never would have thought Germany would end up winning the group. But when you look at that Germany team, like, you know, if you've, if you've Gundogan and Cruz starting in your centre midfield, I mean, why, why was everyone writing them off, including me? I mean, yeah, those those the, the way they pass the ball is just phenomenal, and I think I think yesterday in the in the Germany, particularly with Germany, um, I think it was one of the key was was Havertz's movement, um, and that it, his movement, Pepe looked every bit of his thirty eight years because of the movement. He just could not deal with it. Yeah, completely fair. Right, Pete. Final word on Group F: Should every football match ever be played in Budapest? I'm saying yes. Yeah, we'll go on there. Get a file there. Why not? <laughs> yeah, no, but I literally was Hungarians. But it's been, it has been brilliant to watch. Like that atmosphere yeah. has just been incredible. And fair play to Hungary because they, you know, they're they're a team who qualified kind of on a technicality through the Nations League, and nobody expected them to beat Iceland, and they weren't really good enough in qualification to go through. But uh, they've made a real game of it, and their fans have just been really fun. Yeah, they were decent enough yesterday. Why? Why not? And you know. Because they've got that point against France, they have everything to play for against Germany. So they can't they can't afford to sit back and defend, can they? Yeah, I went. They might actually through. have to go for it. Yeah, I think they they did they don't have their best player as well, but he he got injured before the tournament. Yes, and then the last line, yeah. yesterday and yeah, so yeah, they've no, been good and and that that'll be a good game to watch as well. I guess Hungary will go through in four points. It's, it is as I say, just a shame it's in Munich. I really think that should be changed, but. Yeah. Um, I think they were incredibly unlucky against Portugal as well. They yeah, really yeah, they were. Out. Yeah, they played. They played yeah. fairly well. It certainly wasn't a three 0 game that massively flattered Portugal. Yeah. Uh, really let's rattle through. Game. Let's rattle through the fantasy dead quick. Here are the top ten uh, in the fantasy <laughs> right now. Two games in, uh, you can see number six there lit up in purple. I didn't like that up myself, by the way. That's just what happens yeah, when you take yeah. a screenshot on your own uh, uh, on your own laptop. Um, I don't have the I don't have the tech I don't have the technological ability to light things up. Mate. Um, Luke Chambers there, top of the league, one hundred and forty five points, very tight. Uh, top ten only separated by uh, by thirteen points. You can see three people there, joint seventh. To make up the well, that, that's actually the top nine, isn't it? Um, oh well, uh, sorry, 10th. So you've got Robert McNutt there in second, our mate, uh, Sammy. Yeah, this, this is the, the annoying thing about this fantasy, it, it seems to log your uh, your name as your email address. So, like, there's some mad email addresses that I, I wouldn't be able to find. Um, so hopefully, um, we'll not have a problem getting the prize out to anyone. Sammy there in third, 142. Luke Niblock, friend of the pod, uh, founder of the pod as well. 141 points. Mark Nelson there in fifth. 139 as well. So yeah, all very tight. Um, here is the Spirit of 2016 Contributors League. Um, so I'm there in sixth on 133. Pete in 40th, a distant 40th on 107. Yeah. Lauren had a fantastic first week. Um, but is uh, yeah, I, I only got 33 this week. I mean, some people did very well, like myself. Other people didn't do as well. It seemed to be a week where nobody kind of was in between. Uh, Dave there on 99 points and 64th seems to have packed it in. And Ben in 111th, still actually probably in the top half, but uh, yeah, a lowly 87 points. We'll get you to come on and talk about that in a minute, Ben. But what I'm going to do basically here, it's 10.42. Uh, just I'm going to put your teams up on the screen for this week. Uh, and I want you to pick me, uh, uh, or I want you to just kind of talk through them for a minute or so. Uh, so here's my team. This is my limitless. Um, I can't put everyone's faces somewhere that I can I can show everyone the the full team. But yeah, so limitless obviously the chip where uh, you it's it's like a wild card, but you've no budget restrictions. So for one week you can pick any players as many as you want. I think you still have to pick uh, like I think you're you're still restricted to for example three from each team, uh, but you can pick as many as you want from your budget. 
That's why I've gone for this. I've heavily backed uh, Spain, Italy, Germany, and Belgium. Uh, they're the main ones I've got in there. I've also got Memphis Depay playing Macedonia. I'm a bit worried about the rotation. I think rotation is a big thing this week. With a lot of teams already through, a lot of teams already top of the group, but Memphis Depay, I think he could even come off the bench and get me a couple of goals, so I couldn't ignore him. Uh, Immobile, Mbappe, uh, Insigne, Gnabry, Havertz, Jordi Alba, Spinazzola, Munier, and Gussens. Two keepers are Pickford and Unai Simon, uh, Laporte, Kevin De Bruyne, and Hazard, who I think, even though Belgium will rotate, they're bound to come in. The only thing really worrying me there is Harry Kane. I know he hasn't had a good tournament so far, but I've backed him all the way through. And I think against the Czech Republic, it could be the type of game where he gets a couple of goals and everyone goes mad about them. And, and we all laugh at them when they're losing the next round. But that's my team. Uh, Lauren, this is your team. Thanks for the 130 pixel uh, screenshot. But you, I'll, I'll just uh, read through it dead quick here because obviously there are people listening on the podcast who won't be able to see this. So uh, on your bench, you've got Schmeichel, Danny Olmo, uh, Diogo Jota and Yarmolenko. Uh, this is your limitless as well. Uh, you've got Donnarumma, uh, Alderweireld, Van Anholt, Spinazzola, Mounier and Pau Torres. Uh, you've got Locatelli and Wijnaldum midfield and up front. You've got Weghorst, Lukaku and Lewandowski. So yeah, talk me through that. Yeah, I've decided I'm better back defenders um, for clean sheet points than trying to pick somebody who's going to score a goal because I've been so left down by Danny Olmo. And I was going to Captain Jada yesterday and left it too late. So I was gutted I couldn't get any more. And before that, I hadn't, I'd completely ignored Italy. I don't know why I couldn't fit anybody in. So I'm late to the trend of trying to pick some Italian <laughs> players. I put them in and then I have Lewandowski because. Like Poland need the win, so surely he'll come up with a goal. Wijnaldum playing Macedonia, Van Aalholt was kind of the thinking they'll get a clean sheet as well. And then I love Mounier. I've always been a big fan. And he, the first week he did so well, came in, got an assist in the goal. I was loving life. And then... I had Castagna. Yeah. I was fuming. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm obviously the rotation will be a problem, but I'm sure Lukaku will start because he might be going, he'll be going for the golden boot, so... Surely they'll keep him in. And then Jada to come in if Locatelli or Wijnaldum don't really cut it. Yeah, fair point. I mean, yeah, you you may have convinced me on Lukaku. I might have to have a look at that this afternoon before the <laughs> game start. Uh, ben, here's your team. Um, let us see. So uh, no chip played for you this week. You're just going for the, the regular two transfers. I uh, might change your... that, to be honest. Okay, well, talk me, talk me through what you've gone for so far. You've got... Uh, You've got three players I've never heard of on the bench. Uh, Donnarumma, Chifal, uh, Pavard, Pau Torres, Tyrone Mings, De Bruyne, Foden, Berardi, Immobile, Lukaku, and Mbappe. Top heavy again there, but three players up front who could who could, who could really, you know, any of them could go off in any game, couldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I brought De Bruyne in because I think he's fantastic, but also because he needs games, um, even though obviously Belgium are already through. He needs a bit of he needs a bit of game time, so he's he's bound to play and I, and I fancy him to get either score or get a couple of assists against Finland. Um Foden, I think, has to come good at some point because he is absolutely class. Um Mbappe, you know, he's, he's gonna get you a goal or assist at, at any moment. Um Immobile might not play because of because of a you know the adjustment, but I also think but you'll be able to get fact- him out because it's the first game. So like you can see the team and take him out before the, the deadline. Okay, that's okay, my thing yeah, for right. the Italians. Yeah, yeah, right enough. And I'm also thinking they're going now. If they win this, or if they're undefeated in this game, it's their record. They're equaling their record from like 1920 something or whatever. So I'm thinking they're gonna go. They're gonna go all out for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, Paul Torres, 
Jane aren't great, but um, I don't see them conceding too many against uh, Slovakia. Uh, Sufal, I hope, breaks the hearts of England and um, gets an assist. Um, yeah, and, and uh, I fancy Donnarumma for a clean sheet again against, uh, against Wales. Yeah, completely fair. Okay, Pete, last word. You haven't provided me with a team because uh, you were out drinking last night and you didn't want to throw something together this morning. But I think you are going to play your limitless, aren't you? Um, so yeah. who, are you, who are you kind of considering for that? Is there any like ones you're weighing up or who? Do you, what teams do you think you're going to back? I mean, it's, it's very similar to you guys. I really fancy Belgium to dismantle Finland. Uh, and I think De Bruyne Hazard are going to get game time. So they're instantly in. I'll probably chuck Lukaku in there as well. Uh, Italy... <laughs> I suppose we'll see. We'll have to wait till kickoff. But again, I'll back them. Probably pack in two elite defenders and one attacker. I'm going to back the Dutch against Macedonia. And I think Germany will tear Hungary apart. Yeah. I might chuck in Thomas Muller. Oh, yes. He's finally going to get a goal in the Euros <laughs> if that's After that's you correct. convinced Ben to get him out, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. I, well, <laughs> yeah, it'll be nil nil. Wait and see. But <laughs> they're the team I'm going to back need something big there to get up from 40th anyway <laughs> yeah we'll see anyway listen uh, nice one to everyone for coming on that was a really good chat really enjoyed that let's have a look and see how everyone's fantasy teams do this week uh, we're going to be back next Friday night I think it is so we've uh, the all the group games finish on Wednesday then we don't have football until Saturday can you believe it it's an absolute human rights disaster um so yeah what are we going to do with our lives we might actually have to go out and talk to people and, and do normal things but listen until then um thank you very much to lauren to ben and to pete for coming on um that has been your second euros podcast and we'll see you again next week bye-bye